So let's turn to the book of Luke, chapter 15. If you're able, I'd ask you to stand with us for the reading of God's Word. It is the inerrant, infallible, perfect, preserved Word of the living God. We're not looking for it. We have it. We're not trying to decide which one's the best one. We already know that God is blessed and protected His Word and preserved it in what we call, the, it's been titled the King James Version, and some of us just call it, well, it's the King James Bible. And I'm grateful that we have it. And uh, you say, well, what about the other versions? And some of you might ask that. And I said, well, here's what I've learned. And I'm not, I don't, there's a lot of things that I've learned small along the way, along the way but here's the deal. Things that are different are not the same. So if they leave out some stuff in the other versions, one of them is wrong. So we've agreed here at Southwest Baptist and historically that God's Word is preserved. He promised He would do it. And we have it in the King James Bible. So bless the Lord. So Luke, did I tell you Luke 15? I do get mixed up of where I'm coming from and where I've been. So, okay, here we go. Verse number one. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. There's much description and definition about the publicans that could be said and sinners. But these would be the low life, the wicked that are obvious and people know it. I, I think it's fascinating. The publicans actually were tax gatherers, collectors. And they become associated with the lowly and the wicked. That's probably appropriate. <laughs> but the reason they were, they were thieves. And they ripped people off constantly. But you didn't have to be a tax gatherer for someone to be upset with you and mad at you and just tag you and say, you stupid publican. And you've never collected tax in your life. It just became a byword for the lowly, the wicked, the horrible. So Jesus, they drew near unto him. For to hear him, verse 2, and the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious elite, murmured, saying, oh, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and go after that which is lost? until he find it? Hmm. Look at verse 8. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it? Verse 11. And a certain man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, Give me the portion of goods that followed to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days hence, after the younger son gathered all together, took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, 
And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. No man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. They began to be merry. My, my, my. Let's pray and ask, pray the Lord and see what he has to say to our hearts today. Our great God, I sure do want to say thanks again. I do rejoice in the liberty and freedom that we still have in these United States. And I am grateful for our heritage. Just a moment ago while we were singing America, I was thinking, I just, my prayer would be that I just wish everybody in Washington, D.C. would believe those words in that song. Thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for people that can write words and score and then play and sing to us. And so wonderful. Thank you for that. And God, uh, thank you for privilege. It's mine to open up your book again here at Southwest Baptist Church. I am grateful for this place. My family, we love this place. And we're just overwhelmed with your kindness to us and how you Bless us so much. So thank you. So Lord, I sure need help today. I'd love to be able to get this across and how it has moved in my soul and my heart. And I pray for this congregation. It's very likely, very probable that there's people in this room that are not yet forgiven of their sins. Lots of church members have not yet been forgiven. And I'm made more aware of that in the last few months. I'm grateful that you still speak to people. And then uh, I pray that you would capture their heart today. And then believers, that we too have made a decision and moved away from where we're supposed to be. I pray you would touch and speak to our hearts too. And I do pray that you'll be the one that gets all the glory and all the honor. And we'll rejoice in what you do. So we love you. We look forward to when we get to see you, Jesus. And it's in your mighty and holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated.
Luke 15 has, uh, those that have been in church a long time were acquainted with it. It's the great lost and found chapter in the Bible. And uh, Jesus brings up these three parables. I like to call them three pictures or these uh, uh, paintings that Jesus brings up. And uh, the first one is the field and the sheep. And uh, the second one's a house and 10 pieces of money. And then the third one, of course, is a home and a son that's gone away from home. The reason these pictures came into being is because of what happened there in verse 1, that the publicans and sinners came close to Jesus and rather than rebuff them and say, hey, 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 back off, hey, 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 he, he eats with them. And the scribes and Pharisees are bent out of shape thinking, wait, 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 you cannot put these people on the same level we are. These are dirtbags. We all not have anything to do with them, don't you know? And they're bent out of shape and they're jealous that Jesus would spend time with them while they're right there. So they begin to murmur and complain or says, what is he doing with these people? And he's going to eat with them too? So who is, why would this fellow Jesus that's got this, you know, God the teaching about him and he's supposedly representing God and they might even have enough awareness that he even says he is God. Come on. He's a Messiah? Surely not. Not with these people. So Jesus takes the occasion and says, okay, he gives them these three parables to explain why he's with them. I think it's telling, I don't, I'm not going to preach about this necessarily, I'm just going to bring it up, is that I think it's fascinating that the sheep is lost by, one, by wandering around aimlessly. It's not paying attention, just got away from the flock and danger lurks and just wandering around aimlessly. No goal, no direction. This. The coin, it's lost, but it doesn't know it's lost. <laughs> it has no awareness, no consciousness that it's lost. But the fact is, it's still lost. And then the son. He's lost by his own deliberate self-will. He made a choice. Hmm. I think it's also at least something that I'm, I'm going to bring up, whether you think it's important or not. But I, and the first two, someone is looking for that which is lost. And the third one, someone is waiting for that which is lost. The realization of these three pictures
doesn't matter how they got lost or that they are lost, or whether they know they're lost, the truth is they're lost. Yeah, that's the fact. So Jesus is telling these religious, important people, <laughs> he's telling hey, you would do the same, wouldn't you? Doesn't matter if it's a sheep, a coin, or your child. You would do the very same if you care. It's not only, it's not just about the lostness. It's about the idea in the heart. Do you care? Do you have any concern? Do you have any love for that which is lost? That's the key. Here it is. Do you have a burden? When, when there is no concern, watch. When there is no care, when there is no burden, there's no reason to go look. Mercy. I guess I could stop there for a moment. And then it's a shame, isn't it? They're all around us. And how heavy is our burden? We don't even see them. That's heartbreaking. What would cause us to have a burden? What would, what would cause these scribes and Pharisees that look down on these people, what would cause them to have a burden? What would make them want to seek? Well, I think it's obvious that one of the things was if you have a hundred sheep and you don't know one of them's missing, you wouldn't have a burden. If you got 10 pieces of money and you don't know one of them's missing, you wouldn't be concerned. If you have a child that is missing, and, but you haven't been aware of it yet. So you would get a burden, a concern, when you find out they're lost, when you find out it's lost. Can somebody just agree with that and say amen besides the preacher back here? Okay. Another reason a person might have a burden is that they've experienced themselves. I would imagine in this congregation that it's very possible that we're not going to do the inquiry, but it's very possible that somebody in this room that you were lost and somebody found you. I'm not talking about your salvation. Angie was about this tall. She could talk. I don't know, three or something like this. And we were over here on... Uh, Sears uh, used to be over there on uh, Western, I think. So on, and uh, Nancy was shopping, looking for some stuff, and I was with her and so on. And uh, Becky was not big enough to crawl around, walk around. She's in a stroller or maybe we were dragging her around. I'm not sure. But <laughs> anyway, we heard Angie. We didn't know she was lost. We didn't know she wasn't beside us. 
But we heard her go, I not find you. <laughs> and she's this little bitty person, and she was sitting with those circle clothes racks. She was sitting there in the middle of it. No wonder she couldn't find this little goober. <laughs> there are a lot of children smarter than that. But anyway, <laughs> she, she I not find you. We didn't know she was lost. But in the experience of being lost, I know that us men have never been lost. Hallelujah. <laughs> that we can admit. It's that on the, in the car of the last few years, I've never been lost. But that stupid woman talking to me on there, she has been lost. <laughs> Regardless. If, if someone was searching for you and you didn't even know you were lost, like an amusement park or camping or whatever, and your parents are frantic and they're looking for you and you're just a little person wandering around, not even know you're lost, you wouldn't have that experience of joy of being found. But us, anyone that's been lost and you remember the rescue, you would never forget it. So that would give you a burden for those or whatever the object is that's lost. Here's another reason that you might have a burden. Is it's because you realize you can do something about it. All of us that have witnessed TV the last 25 years or 30 years and there's a community and there's a babe, a, a child that's lost and how everybody comes in the community and they say, okay, you go this direction, you go this direction, they go through the woods and they're looking. Why would people do that? Because they can help. I can help find them maybe. If I got to be the one to find them, it would be a joy to my soul. I think this is something to pay attention to. The sermon this morning actually is about the son. Who do you think suffers the most? The parent or the son? His is deliberate. He made the choice. Jesus is illustrating to these scribes and Pharisees, he's illustrating to them his love for the sinner, his concern for the sinner. Jesus knows they're lost and he can do something about it. God's heart is exemplified, illustrated through Jesus. God's heart is showing who hurts the most when someone's lost. Heaven, heaven suffers more for her sorrows than earth suffers for her sorrows. Every one of us in this room would be far more earnest in our mission giving If we would realize they're lost, 
and we can do something about it. We would be more serious in our soul winning endeavor if we could get into the suffering heart of God that they're lost and there's something we can do about it. We used to be lost and we've been found and we don't tell anybody. Soul winning, I'm not picking on pastor and I'm not picking just on Southwest Baptist Church, but soul winning is not on the lips of most of us regularly. And Jesus is saying, hey, hey, don't, if you had 10 pieces of silver, wouldn't you seek until you found it? God help us. We have the answer. We can do something about it. Just pass out a track. Come on. What is wrong with us? It's embarrassing. It ought to be that the track racks are nearly empty all the time and there's, hey, put some more in there. But no, we don't have time for that. No, it's not that big a deal. I'm telling you, it's heartbreaking. Jesus is getting on the religious elite. I wonder if he might be saying the same thing to the precious Southwest Baptist Church. Well, no, we're, we're better than that. Yeah. I think it shows up in our actions. I didn't write down the author, but let me see this world, dear Lord, as though I were looking through your eyes. A world of men who don't want you, Lord, but a world for which you died. Let me kneel with you in the garden, blur my eyes with agony. For if once I could see this world the way you see, I just know I'd serve you more faithfully. Verse 12 and 13, we see the son leaving. These two verses describe the ruin of thousands, I could say millions of people. And the younger, verse 12, the younger said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that followed to me. And he divided them, his living, he gave it to the, both sons. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and wasted his substance with riotous living. The first step is that this son is getting out from underneath authority. He doesn't want anybody telling him what to do. He wants to be his own boss. He wants to be able to make his own decisions. He just doesn't like the burden of all the responsibility or the expectation. Here's what I've discovered. It's not just children that think that. Adult men leave their responsibility to go after what they want. Adult women do the same. They're not, they're, it's not just kids who shake off responsibility and authority and control. Mercy. 
self-indulgence, selfishness, our own desires outweigh what's more important, but we still outweigh it. God help us. It says he leaves his father in verse 13 and he finds himself in, in a, and I love to describe it the way my Bible reads it, is in a far country. Yep. He's a long ways removed from home. If we're going to use the parable to describe us in this room, you're far away from God. G. Campbell Morgan, I loved how he said it. He said he's in a far country. Here's what he said. Though a step can land you in it. I cry, baby, you don't have to be gone for a month or two before you're in a far country. One step away from God, one decision away from God can land you in a far country. His life is spiraling downward. In verse 13, he wasted his substance with riotous living. Ladies and gentlemen, when we make a decision to leave where we're supposed to be, where we ought to be, we make that decision out of selfishness and self-indulgence. When we do that, it's a downward spiral. His life is wasted. It's used up. Don't you know, ladies and gentlemen, don't we know that sin is a cancer? You and I can't do a little sin and act like, whoop, I'm good. No, it's going to lead to more. It's going to lead to more. When you and I give in to the first time, when we give in to the first step, we think, oh, that was wrong. That was sinful. It's wicked. God, forgive me. And we can get right. Praise his name. However, we think, well, this one thing, it's not going to be that big a deal. This one area is not going to probably infect all of me. No, ladies and gentlemen, it's after all of you. It wants your whole life. G. Campbell Morgan also said, humanity, men, madly plunge deeper into the mud in hopes of finding the pearl which has eluded them all of their life. You think you're going to find satisfaction, you're going to find enjoyment, you're going to find contentment, and all you're doing is getting deeper. Verse 14, and when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. I love this thought anyway, the idea that I gather from this. In God's great love, in God's great mercy, God's great grace, in his pursuit after us, he has the ability to bring about circumstances to get our attention that we might come to ourselves, that we might wake up. Do humans have the ability in the midst of all of this upsetting and all of this discomfort to say, 
this is horrible, this is stupid, I am going to stay here. Uh, yeah, we do it. And God's trying to get our attention saying, hey, Bubba, hey, Bozo, what are you? I could say, girls, Bozo, I don't know what word to use for a buzzos, but bozos. Anyway, girls too. I love that God, the Bible is full that God is pursuing us. The pursuit is real for the unsaved. He's pursuing you. I don't care how many years or months you've been attending here. If you're not yet saved, he's still pursuing you. If you are born again and you're, turn, and you're turned on for God, hallelujah, he wants you to stay there. But if you are saved and you have stepped into a far country, he's pursuing you. He's still after you. And he'll bring across circumstances in your life trying to get your attention and you're still oblivious. Verse 15, he joined himself to a citizen of that country. Why? He can't make it on his own. He became dependent upon somebody else because self is not enough. He cannot meet his own needs. I thought it was fascinating. The word joined, it, it, it kind of pictures glued. <laughs> he glued himself to this fellow that lives there. He, he, here's another, another description that he forced himself upon him. He got to him and he said, hey, no, I don't have anything to eat. I don't have anything to do. You got to help me. Gotta, give me a job. I'll do anything you want me to do. Please let me do it. I'll do. And he just kept forcing himself on the fellow. And the fellow said, all right, go feed my pigs. That's what it says. He sent him into the fields to feed swine. And here's what he said. When he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat. So the husk is, the simple way to say it, it's just pig food. There is a description of a husk. It's, they call it a carob. It's about 10 inches long. It's kind of filled with gel. It's on a tree. Uh, the German word is Boxhornbaum, and it's a goat horn tree, they call it. Regardless, it doesn't matter what the actual food is. It's pig food. And he's wanting to eat it. When it says he feigned, he, he's longing for it. He's, he's feeding them. He's thinking, I, I'm going to eat this. I'm ready. I'm willing to eat this. I'm starving. I don't have anything. I'm, I'm in trouble here. The circumstances all around him are saying, hey, hey, you don't have to stay here. Yeah, you made a dumb decision. Yes, you were wrong. Yes, it was wicked. But you don't have to stay here. And according to the Holy Bible, it says in verse, uh, verse 17, and when he came to, just love that. When he came to himself, he understands where he is. He recognizes his condition. He recognizes the results of his rebellion. He has nothing. He has no future. He's about to eat pig food. He will need help to get out of this mess. Here it is. He cannot do it on his own. I was thinking about his emotions. He feels dirty. 
And he is. He feels embarrassed. And he is. He feels shameful. And he is. He feels broken. And he is. And he feels unworthy. And he is. But he realizes, I was thinking about how to describe this. In my life experiences and so on, a high schooler, college kid, an old married person, every once in a while, as a high schooler, I often was doing something and I heard my mama, her voice in my ear, in my heart. She says, be sure your sins will find you out. That was one of her favorite verses in the Bible. But it's true. I heard my dad more than once. Don't ruin your life with one decision, boy. It was echoing in my heart, in my ear. Don't you know that this son who made the decision to leave home heard his dad's voice more than once? And here he is feeding pigs, wanting to eat pig food. His life has gone just about as far down as you can go. And he realized, my father has reached. He has enough resources for me. He takes care of his servants and they have food to spare. He realizes and has understanding his father is benevolent. His father's kind. His father's forgiving. His father never wanted him to leave. And his father takes care of anyone and everyone who's under his wing. Wow. You know what he's doing here in verse 17 and 18? Watch. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. Do you know what this is? He's coming to the end of himself. He realized he cannot do it on his own. He realized all his decisions lead nowhere. But he remembers and he has this still in the back of his mind and heart. My father. Wow. He's coming to the end of himself. Watch this. And so humility. Oh, mercy. Humility for anybody to turn from their way to the father, to God. It must include humility. No humility. There's no coming to God. And his humility is seen at the end of his own ideas, the end of his own ways. He's willing to humble himself publicly. What do you mean? He said, I am going to go back to my father and say to him, I've sinned against you. And he realizes it's not just against humanity, it's against God too. Mercy. So he's willing to confess. Well, I don't want to do that. 
He realizes it's before God and man, and it doesn't matter who sees it. It doesn't matter what others think or say. He's willing to humble himself and give back to his father. No strings attached. Come home on his father's terms. No expectations. I'm willing to do anything. I'm willing to be a servant. I don't, I'm not demanding anything. I don't have to live in the big house. I'm willing to part with everything. I'm not bringing any of this with me. I'm coming to you with nothing. Wow. I think this is fascinating. Look at verse 17 again. And when he came to himself, he said, how many servants? And so they have plenty. He said, I will arise. That's what he said he would do. Now look up here. I'm going to catch this. Right now, he says, I don't like where I am. My father has plenty. I'm going to go. Well, hear me, hear me well. Just because someone says it doesn't mean they're going to do it. When I was just a young person in the ministry, I remember distinctly hearing a preacher say, the devil will tell you that preacher's right. The devil will tell you, that's right, you're a sinner. That's right. There's only one way, it's Jesus. He's right. The devil will lie to you and say, he's right. But wait. You could get right right now, but wait. You're not ready right now. And the devil will agree with everything the Bible says, but he will tell you, you got more time, wait. And there are many of you in this room that have experienced conviction from God and you knew that you needed to get right. You knew that it was the answer. You knew you need to turn back to him. You need to repent, humble yourself, confess your sin. You knew you should. You know, you know. And you're going, not right now. I'm going to wait. I know it's right. But I'm. And what you're doing is destroying your life and your family's life. If you're not saved, you're destroying your eternity. You're going to go to hell. And I don't know how many people would be in hell that knew all the right answers, but they just said, I'm going to wait. Yeah. Verse 20. And he arose. <laughs> he no longer says it. Now he does it. Does it. Amen. He arose. Here he is. Came to his father. I'm saying hallelujah. Ladies and gentlemen, he did it. He proves his faith. Here he says, I will, I'm going to do it, and I should do it. But until he doesn't, his faith is not enacted. Faith is action. You can say you know you can get right with God, but until you do it, it's not faith. You can know all the right answers, but until you make the decision and take the step, you're not there yet. Faith is active. 
In fact, the scripture says faith without action, faith without works is dead. Oh, I know everything since I brought it up. Some of you in here, you know good and well, you know good and well you're not right with God. You know it. And you know what's right. You're here on Sunday morning. But you haven't been willing to humble yourself. You don't want anybody to know that you're like you are. Well, I'll just go ahead and tell you, God already knows. These people are so unimportant compared to God. Well, I don't want everybody. It doesn't matter what. See, that's your problem. You're stuck over here in your pride and your self-indulgence is your selfishness. Humility is the only way we get to turn to God. And if I wanted to, I'm certain, and I've already pressed upon several things, but I could press upon things and, and nearly every one of us could say, well, that's true. I'm really not right with God in that area. We love to do it in areas. Because over here, I got quite a bit of things that I'm right with God. But I got these areas and I'm really struggling. It just means you're not right with God. You haven't fully surrendered over here. See, we think we can partway surrender. Peace meal surrender. No, you're either right with God or you're not. Sometime or another, you're going to have to arise and go to the Father. Wow. What does the Father do? Here we go. Verse 20. He arose, came to his Father, but when he was a great way off, his father saw him. I know we've heard preaching about this and so on, but do you reckon the father was looking for him every day? I think so. Every day that he walked upon the hillside or the balcony, he's going... That boy has no idea how much I love him. That boy has no idea how much he's hurt my heart. He has no idea how much I'll forgive him. And that's something. I love the Bible says, and while he was a great way off, he saw him. And I suppose all of us in this room would realize this parable, the Father is God. And I've never found in Scripture where God ran. He doesn't need to run. Except when he came home. He ran. That is so humbling. If you're not saved, if you'll just turn to him, he'll run to you. He wants to forgive you. He'll say, get the best robe. Get a ring and put shoes on his feet. He's not a slave. He's not a servant. Put the shoes on him. Give him the authority. Give him the right. Give him the, excuse me, he's waiting. All he's waiting for you is to turn. He'll run to you. How long you've been in church, that doesn't matter. He'll run to you. It's obvious this story, this parable is about lost people that are unsaved. 
So, friend, if you're not saved, I don't know how to tell you better than what Jesus said. He'll run to you. Say yes to him. No, no, I'm sorry. You've got to humble yourself. You've got to be willing to admit who you are and what you are. You can't just say, well, he's right. No, you've got to do it. You've got to put feet to your faith. It's obvious it's about lost people, but isn't it true, us that are saved, isn't it obvious that sometimes we leave the authority we leave our responsibility. Aren't you glad that he's looking for us to come back to? And we got to humble ourselves. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. Thank you for listening. Stand, I'd like to pray with you. Our great God, I sure want to say thanks again. Wow. Thank you for your Bible, the truth. Thank you for how it moves my soul and it speaks to me. Thank you that you let me stand in front of others and tell them how much you love them. That you're ready, you're willing to take us back. Those that are not saved, God, thank you that you're giving them another opportunity. You've been speaking to them. You've been squeezing their heart. You're giving them another opportunity. God, I pray they'd say yes to you today. Receive your forgiveness. Our heads are bowed and instruments are playing. I've been coming to Southwest a long time and I know it's not habitual for people to leave their seat and find a place at the front of the building as an altar. I know that. That's just not how Southwest does it. But don't stay in your seat if just because Satan is telling you, wait, do it later. Just forget about everybody else around you. Just think about our Father, our Heavenly Father waiting. He's looking for you. Brother Aaron's going to begin the invitation as he sings. You're welcome to sing with him, but if you might not need to sing with him, you might need a place to bend the knee.